from baseball's top personalities. The Hall of Famer, one of the great TV broadcasters, Bob Costas is here on A's Cast Live. To the A's legendary players. Five-time Major League Baseball home run champ, Mark McGuire is with us here. You never know what stories you're going to hear. We used to come out here to lunch and run with our shirts off. <laughs> you would say. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. It's an all-media edition of A's Unfiltered. We got the pitching ninja, Rob Friedman, Mike Petriello from MLB.com and MLB Network, also from MLB.com and MLB Network, Sarah Langs, and Bill Moriarty, the editor-in-chief of Athletics Farm. But we'll start with, is there anybody better on Twitter than the pitching ninja? Well, he's an absolute legend, a titan in the game of baseball now at pitching ninja on twitter nobody better following the game of baseball and what's going on on the mound and we love having rob friedman on the program the pitching ninja rob how are you I am doing great I think my camera isn't working but that's okay right we gotta see you where are you I don't know. I'm trying to get this thing working. My computer is having problems. Well, let me tell you a story. It happened this <laughs> it happened this past football season. So I went to San Jose State and uh I'm at a San Jose State football game. The game ends and I'm walking down the stands. He's not there? He uh dropped out. He was there. His video was there and then it disappeared. And like, no, he's back, but it's not showing his video. Why is that? When you first when you first came on, when you're waiting, and no, well, he's gone again. When he, he's in the waiting room, it showed his actual video. Like he was yeah, there I on saw video. him. Yeah, and then now he's now it's not. We're video. working the kinks out, folks. Dude, I can't help you. I don't understand what's going on. This is. I mean, bad. I'm here to sell merchandise. I need to see the logo. <laughs> I'm trying to sell I your merch. I'm trying to sell your merch. I know. Come on, I'm going to keep working on it. All right, well, I was telling the story. Did you hear about San Jose State football? No, I didn't. I heard it started. All right, so I'm at a San Jose State football game. It's the end of the game. I'm walking down the, the stands, and a guy has one of your hats on. And I go, pitching ninja. And he goes, you know? And I go, oh, I know the pitching ninja. I mean, so you're, you're talking about your merch blowing up. When I'm seeing it at a college football game – your merch out, at least out here, I don't know what the numbers say, but we see it now. We see with all the A's. I, I've worn your shirt on TV. Uh, A's players are wearing it. I see the hats in the stands. I hope you're doing well because I know out west I'm seeing Pitching Ninja merch. Well, I love hearing that. I mean, there's nothing better than seeing all that stuff out there. I still love it. Like, I, I walked up to someone at the All-Star game who's wearing a Pitching Ninja shirt, and I was like, dude, nice shirt. <laughs> it's like and he was like you look like him i'm like um yeah kind of am him so it was kind of it's really cool like i love it well i saw the other day on twitter you've come out with a whole different line of different <laughs> colors and the trucker mesh hats and it's like your hats what's great about them they're good looking good design go with a lot of different styles of clothing you can wear them for golf you can wear them for a baseball game I think what you've done is you've created a line that really is something I can either wear a golf ball game, going out to dinner. It's a slick look. 
Well, I love to hear that because, uh, see, you have great hair, though. You don't need a hat. Like my <laughs> hair, I, I shave my head. Like, I need to have a hat. I mean, I, I do this all for me. Well, you're doing it well. So I so check this out. When Ray Fossey passed, we decided to do a series during our pregame shows of all of Ray's old interviews. And we ran an interview yesterday with Ray and Sparky Anderson, the Hall of Famer from the mid-'90s, he was complaining about the bat, the baseball in the mid-90s. And now here we are today. You got Eric Chavez, the hitting coach, former A, hitting coach for the Mets, complaining about the baseball. Chris Bassett complaining about the baseball. You're doing all these analytics. and You're doing all these breakdowns. On, what's going on with the baseball? Dude, I don't know. Like, all right, so these are this is one thing. Like, it's handmade, right? So yeah. you get a handmade couch. It's going to be different every time we do these things by hand. You're always going to have kind of inconsistencies in the baseball. That's just one of those things. Now, the issue that you run into are there, you know, when you have different batches of them, like one year, they're trying to do one thing. The next year, they're trying to do another thing with the leather. It, they, they need to get more player input on this stuff and really work out the kinks before you just chuck a ball in there. It seems like like the ball is such an integral part of the game. And uh, I, I feel like it sometimes is done without much forethought because they think, you know, hey, it doesn't really matter. But it does matter. Well, yeah, it matters a lot because it is the most important part of our game. It's the how the game starts. Everything's about where the ball goes. Whatever the camera follows is the most important thing, and you're following the ball. And if the ball, if it's changing – if the seams are different, if the way just however it's moving. And that's the one thing I try and tell people all the time. The players understand equipment. I don't care if we're talking football, golf, whatever. Like a golfer, you give a golfer a different golf ball than he's using. And like, let's say you gave him a golf ball that didn't have any of the logos or anything. He would know exactly this is not my ball. They know their equipment better than anybody else. And when the pitchers are all saying, man, Different innings, the, the the balls are different. And now the conspiracy is we're having different balls for primetime games versus regular games. This is just not right. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be those conspiracy things. When you don't have a uniform thing, everybody's going to say, oh, well, they don't like this team, so they're doing this with the ball for that game. I don't think they even necessarily have, you know, they, don't, they haven't thought that out. I think sometimes they think the ball is going to fly further and it doesn't. Because there's so many different factors aerodynamically that come into play, like higher seams fly fly more in some situations, maybe not in other situations. So I think it's really tough to do intentionally, but the fact that it changes all the time gives rise to that conspiracy. Regarding golf balls, like I, I mean, I could tell my golf ball, but sometimes I don't really want to. Like I'll pick up someone else's and just play it if it's a better lie, wouldn't you? No, you wouldn't do that because you're a good <laughs> golfer. I'm terrible. No, but I can tell you right now, if if I can tell, and I, I'm a hack, but I can tell the difference between, I can tell the difference between the different pro Vs. Like some are softer, some spin more. But if you go a Callaway versus a Titleist, I can completely tell you the difference. And I'm a hack. So can you imagine a baseball player who touches that baseball every day? Every day he's playing catch. He's throwing bullpens. He constantly has the ball in his hand. He can tell that, hey, this ball from three years ago, seams, weight, feel, it's different. They can tell. 
Oh, 100%. So I was hearing a conversation with some hitters and they were saying, you know, I can pick up a bat. Maybe my, my usual bat's 32.5 or 32.4. And if it was, I could say this one feels a little heavier, this one feels a little lighter. And it was like a 10th of an ounce difference. So absolutely the equipment matters. And I think we don't give that enough uh, credence. I, I, I just, I think the players absolutely can tell. Um, and you, you, you had those issues with sticky stuff too, where players, some players were using something just to get some tack on the ball because they felt like they were, they couldn't get a grip and they were worried about hitting people. You know, others did it for spin, obviously, but you have folks that are legitimately worried because some of the MLB balls are just too hard and the seams were too low. So it was tough to grip them. Someday we'll work this out, but, uh, yeah, oh, tough, you don't want to get me started on that issue as a former pitcher. Nothing fries me more than you got your batting helmet, you got you got your elbow guard, you got a shin guard, you got an ankle guard, you got all the python, all the uh, all the pine tar, you got the sticky spray, you got batting gloves. We give these chumps every possible thing they can have at the plate, and all we get is rosin. That's it, <laughs> really. Why can't we have pine tar? Why can't we have a sticky spray? Why do you get to have all these advantages? And hitters will be like, well, that's different. No, it's not. You get to have all that. Why can't like, I? Last time I worked in the NFL for years, everybody in the NFL has the same pads, same helmets. You get everybody, a quarterback could have the same elbow, same form of arm stuff that a defensive lineman does if he wanted. Why can hitters have different stuff than pitchers? I don't understand that. Not fair. Dude, I totally, I love it. I love you. That is exactly right. I don't think it's fair either. Um, you know, and, and, and I do think like, Hey, it makes the game more fun when you see the ball spinning like that and really nasty curveballs and stuff like that. I, I think it's cool. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you. Like, uh, Hitter, hitters get all the love. That's why I exist, is to give pitchers love. <laughs> <laughs> this is why. This is what I was put on earth to do, was to help the pitchers. Since we have – since, I mean, I mean now, whenever they, whenever I'm at a game or we watch a game on TV, it, it's such a half-ass check, the umpire with the pitchers down the hand. It's, it's ridiculous. But have you seen what differences spider tack or – copper tone with rosin sunscreen ever since we supposedly outlawed this and are checking what have you seen from everything that you do monitoring these pictures what's the biggest difference you know i think spin rate has generally gone down some so you you do have uh the intended effect i think you know using sticky stuff definitely drove up spin rates but i see pictures coping different ways so people realize like the normal rosin, you know, it, it's, it's not particularly sticky unless you mix it with sweat or something. So you'll see a lot of uh, pitchers going to their hair or going to their arm, not to get something illegal, but to get sweat mixed with rosin, which makes with at least adds that tack and you can get those spin it's, rates it's a little kinda, back up. It's kind of, it's kind of, yeah. I know it's yeah. It's in, not, cold, it's, in cold weather does nothing. Cause you're really not sweating. Right. You have to like somehow create some sweat. Um, and that's when you'll really see like under your hat, maybe your, your hair, hair will be a little sweaty, but yeah, that's the best you can do. Um, and it's a workaround. So I think people are, you'll, you'll see a lot of pitchers sometimes go to their hair um, and, and spin rates went down and now they seem to have crept up a tiny bit. They're still not where they were, but 
people are try, trying to figure it out. I don't think a lot of pitchers are. I think when they put it down and said, hey, everybody, you can't do this. I think pitchers listen to that. And I don't see a lot of like I watch folks and see what they're doing. And I don't think there are pitchers that are trying to break that rule. Because if you get caught, you're screwed. Like that's your reputation for, you know, for a long time. Now, uh, the commander is brought up at Pitching Ninja on Twitter and your breakdown. We know that uh, Polly Blackburn, Polly Kays, has changed his grip in the offseason for his breaking ball. You've noticed it's changed. He's got the ability to flip it in for a strike, and he's got the, he's got the hammer to strike you out with. What are the differences in your, that you're seeing with Paul Blackburn? Oh, I mean, it's just it, – it's kind of night and day. He has been – I think he's opened up a lot of eyes around the country, just how effective he's been. That breaking ball is, is sick. Um, and it went, it, it just increased its uh, effectiveness a ton. Yeah. I mean, it is, uh, it, it is impressive when you see baseball across the entire deal now, because more relievers are throwing than ever before. We're seeing more sliders than any other pitches. Are you surprised by that? And will will we just con- continue to see this develop more to where it's just going to be a slider game and it's not a fastball game anymore? I think I think it's been happening for years. So this is a great point that you bring up because obviously velocity has been increasing over years, right? Like you know, yeah. it, it's you're seeing more hundred mile an hour throwers, but hitters because you have to adjust to that velo you don't want to get beat on it you're sitting that so breaking pitches are more effective so you have more pitchers throwing breaking balls than fastballs because hitters have to fear the fastball Um, so yeah I think you are going to see that and I also think the slider works really well with kind of you know people were saying the two seamer sinker is dead you're seeing a lot of them now because if you if you think about it, you think about how a slider tunnels with a two-seamer. One goes arm side, one goes glove side. You can really set up some interesting scenarios where hitters can't pick up the spin if you start it off the plate. And you have the sinker that runs to the plate and the, and the slider that runs off. So it makes for a really good pairing of pitches as well. I know you're in a time crunch. You got time for one more? Yeah, absolutely. Can you truly explain tunneling from the standpoint of the pitcher and also the standpoint of the hitter because he's got to be the one that sees it doesn't see it and his brain's out to react swing or not explain that to our audience yeah so as a hitter you're looking for a pitch and generally i mentioned you're sitting fastball so you're looking for a pitch out of the pitcher's hand um you really don't pick up spin and that's what hitters have said almost unanimously, we give them too much credit for picking up spin. They may pick up something different in your grip um, as you're releasing it, but they don't really see the spin, especially with high spin rates. It's just a blur. So if you can throw pitches that kind of look the same by the time the hitter has to make a decision and they break differently, um, the hitter is you know, usually hunting a fastball. And if he sees it looking like a fastball trajectory and all of a sudden it's a slider or changeup that looked like that fastball, there, there's, they're kind of hosed. Um, so if you think of a tunnel, those pit, those baseballs are going down a tunnel on the way to home plate. And then one of the pitches is exiting the tunnel. Um, and hopefully later than the hitter has to make a decision. So the hitter has to, you know, you can't, you can't wait for the ball to get to home plate to make a decision because you're going to be late. So you have to swing somewhere in front of home plate. And to the extent they look the same at that point, 
you got it. Like the, the hitter is, is hosed. As a pitcher, you're trying to take advantage of that effect, which is mirror, mirror your mechanics. You don't want, you want to have somewhat similar mechanics on, on, on all your pitches. Um, ideally, some don't, and that's fine. But if you if it looks the same and maybe you even throw you're seeing pitchers now throw the ball straight down the middle of the plate, like all, all their pitches and letting the movement take over. So you have a fastball down the middle and your your changeup goes arm side, your slider goes glove side and maybe you know, a two seamer or something off of that or a splitter off of that. But you're just aiming down the middle and that's tunneling right there. Right. So you're you're you know, you're creating this triangle of death, I like to call it for for uh, hitters. Well, we love having you on the program. Uh, get out there, check out the merch at Pitching Ninja. What's your website? Uh, PitchingNinja.com. That's that's easy, right? That's easy. The merch is there. You got shirts, hats. You got everything, right? Yeah, totally. And I, I wish I had a working camera. That's my only yeah. <laughs> drawback today. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to like show because your logo is great. Hey, if you want to, can you see us right now? Let me try did you just hang up on him? No. He uh he dropped out to try to add it to him. To add to fix his camera. Here, no. 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 Nope. Just the audio. Hey, if you want us to put some uh ninja merch down on the table to help sell it, let us know. We're here for you, buddy. <laughs> I'll send you some. I've got to do that. Yeah, right? we can put like a, a ninja hat right right between us. It'd be killer. Yeah, y'all need to just wear one. Yeah, like I mean, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You send me some merch, I'll pimp it. All right. we That's a deal. Well, I told you, I do these hits on NBC California for our pre- and post-game show. I was wearing your A's version, the green with the uh, gold ninja. I was wearing that on TV. That is one of my favorite color combos, too, to be honest. Like, I love that. Yeah, so I've already, I, I've pimped you on TV. Hey, let me tell you, <laughs> you send stuff, I'll take care of you. <laughs> I love it. All right, buddy, you be well. Thank you. You too. It's always great to see you. The pitching. But you can't see me though. So. Yeah, we want to see you next time. We got to <laughs> figure this out. This is terrible. <laughs> well, then let's do it again soon. Absolutely. Take care. Take care, man. The pitching ninja. That man can break down pitching. There's no question. And up next, he's one of the best in the business. Follow him on Twitter. You see him on MLB Network and his work on MLB.com. He covers this game as good as anybody. Mike Petriello. It's great to have you back on the program. How have you been so far this first start of the season? Uh, things have been great. You know, baseball's been super fun. Lots of good stories. I'm enjoying it so far. Yeah, you know, you look at a lot of the stories, and there's a lot of interest, whether on both coasts. And wouldn't you say that's probably been one of the things that's been really good for the game of baseball is that you have, like, the American League East. You got the National League West. You got both coasts with a lot of great baseball going on at one time. Well, I mean, I would say that, right? Like, if you look at the, <laughs> the big markets, yes, the Mets and Yankees are good, right? The Dodgers and the Angels are good. The the Giants are pretty good. I don't know that the people in the middle of the country would think that way because the Centrals are both pretty rough. But, yes, if you like coastal baseball, then it's been fantastic. Well, let's start out here, and we're seeing it right now, is what we've always thought was a possibility is now a reality if guys are healthy for the Angels, if they get pitching, boy, that could be dangerous. And right now they're going to be coming here over the weekend for a series, and you look at Trout's being Trout again. It's like every night he's got two home runs, and Otani, whether he's striking out 11 guys or hitting two bombs, it's all coming together for them. 
Are you buying it? How dangerous really are the Halos? I'm mostly buying it for now. And I think part of that is because Otani has only looked kind of okay at the plate, right? Like he's been fantastic as a pitcher, but you have not seen the same hitter as you saw last year. So if you get that version of him to come back at any point, then yeah, they're going to be good. Like it comes down to the same, I think two things it always comes down to, right? Is will Trout stay healthy, which he hasn't the last couple of years and he has so far this year. And will anybody pitch? And that's the part that's been interesting so far. I know Reed Detmers threw a no-hitter, and that was super impressive. And not to take credit away from him, that doesn't make him like an ace in my mind necessarily, right? Like it's a young guy (laughs) who's shown that he's talented, uh, and that's really good. I mean, I've liked Patrick Sandoval there for a while. I think he's really talented and good. I think Rysel Iglesias is one of the most underrated relievers in baseball. He's really good. So I'm impressed with what they've done. And what you, I think what you need every year for any of these teams is someone unexpected to show up, right? And so far, that guy's been Taylor Ward, who's been fantastic. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, when you're when you're overshadowing Trout at a certain point, that uh, that tells you a lot. And, and and when you look out west here, I mean, obviously the NL West. Oh, you know what? I want to get one more thing on the Angels because. I remember I also do stuff for our NBC affiliate here, NBC California, which our games run on. And I was trying to be not the old school get off my lawn guy. If you remember back, Padres and Giants at the early part of the season, Giants got out to an early lead. A guy stole a base early. Then a guy bunted in the sixth inning. Next, you know, Bob Melvin, our old friend, and Matt Williams, they're all flipping out in the Padres dugout and the whole unwritten rules. You remember that game? I do, of course. Right? So I brought it up going, are you kidding me? Play the game. Stop it if you don't like it. A bunch of people got mad at me. Even Dave Stewart goes, I didn't see Willie Mays do that. Let me take you back to last (laughs) night then. Are we now, if we're going to be get off my lawn, unwritten rules, stop playing the game when the score gets to be a certain, and it's Bush League if you're bunning or stealing bases, what about a pitcher on the mound, Maverick, our buddy Brett Phillips, and then, okay, hitter's got to still hit. But then you got uh, Rendon going up there, hitting left-handed and knocking it out. I'm like, wait a minute. You're going to get after me for saying it's okay to keep playing the game, but the integrity of the game is when you got a you got an outfielder on the mound and a guy hitting left-handed for the first time. He hits it out. Oh, it's great. Wait a minute. Willie Mays never did that. Willie Mays never hit left-handed against a position player. So where are we on the integrity with a pitcher throwing and a guy getting up there hitting left-handed for the first time? I don't know, man. Now you just got me thinking about if Willie Mays could hit home runs left-handed because I bet he probably Hank could. Aaron get up you know, there lefty. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, you you tell me if I missed something, right? But I didn't see any complaints coming out of either dugouts about that last night. You know, everyone seemed cool with it. Nobody seemed to have a problem. Like, obviously, you got a position player on the mound. Let Rendon hit the other way. I, I, no one was throwing at anybody. No one was complaining about it. I think if you go back a couple of weeks, there was the issue with the Giants and the Nationals, right, where they were complaining about that. And I think the score at the time was the Giants were up by like, I don't know, six or whatever, and the Nationals were complaining, even though the Giants had put up all of their runs in one single inning like an hour beforehand, as though like that's a big enough lead. I don't think the uh, unwritten rules are as big of a deal anymore. Like that's just not the way the game is played and all the better for it. Like that doesn't serve anybody. I, I, that's what I said a long time ago. I got hammered for it. And I'm like, look at last night, you got Phillips tweeting trout on Twitter. I mean, it's fun. It's engaging. It helps bring the younger folks into the game. I thought it was good. Stay staying here out West. 
obviously the National League West, everybody over 500, everybody's playing good baseball. Uh, good luck to our friend Bob Melvin, who's going to be undergoing a surgical procedure. Uh, we're going to be away from the Padres for just a little bit. But there's the Dodgers and everybody else. The everybody else, do you see any of them staying with the Dodgers for the season? I do. I think the Padres are for real. The fact that they have hung around this far without Fernando Tatis is a really good sign because I, I think what's happening there is if you look at them, Manny Machado is playing at an MVP caliber level, which I certainly think he can sustain. Eric Hosmer is playing like wildly over his head, right? Yeah. So wh when he comes back down, which he almost certainly will, that'll be about the time Fernando Tatis is coming back. And I think that's going to work out really well for them. You know, all credit to Hosmer for helping them stay afloat in what looks like kind of a tough spot. You know, like the offense going into the year without Tatis sort of seemed a little underwhelming to me, you know. So Hosmer has done really well. Again, credit to him for that. Haseon Kim has done a pretty good job on both sides of the ball, filling in at shortstop. And what they've really done that I liked a lot was, if you remember the starting rotation at the end of the last year, they had to go find Jake Arrieta and go find Vince Velasquez, and it did not work well. Well, they went out and they made some trades and they are full of starting pitching. Like Mackenzie Gore has finally arrived. I like the starters a lot and they're not the Dodgers, right? But they're the clear second best team in that division. And I say that even though I do believe in the Giants, yeah. they're not 107 win Giants. They've had a lot of injuries, uh, but I, I do believe they're for real. And, you know, I'm not going to say that I think the other two teams can stay above 500 because they won't, although they're off to good starts. But, yeah, I like the Padres. Yeah, the D-backs out of nowhere. And our buddy Tori Lavello, former A, is doing a great job down there. And, you know, we, you know we don't like the Giants, but you do got to give them their due, especially after the season they had last year. You know they're going to be there. Switching to the other coast and something that uh, has been a lot of fun for us, uh, us baseball dorks, is we, we're able to tune into these games starting at 4 o'clock you know, well before our games start. And you just, like, you're watching right now. You had the walk-off bomb last night for the Yankees and the spirited series between the Yankees and the Toronto Blue Jays. I know it's just a quick two-game set, but the battles they've had already this year. Uh, you, you know, we, we've dealt with the Rays now twice already. We know how good they are. Just talk about the American League East, how competitive. And the one major disappointment would be the Red Sox. Yeah, how do you like the Orioles not being in last place in that division? And you can't hit home runs. At, you can't hit home runs at Camden Yards now. <laughs> no. I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself just a little pat on the back here because yeah. I never bought into the Red Sox in the first place. I I did not have them as a playoff team, uh, but that was mostly because I didn't trust their pitching in any way, and that's that's come true a little bit. But I'm shocked at how poor the offense has been. You know, Bogarts has been fine, Devers has been fine, Story's been a mess, Verdugo's been a mess. I'm I'm surprised at how quickly that's gone downhill. And you, you know, you can't totally play yourself out of a playoff spot in a, uh, a league with six playoff spots this early, but it's pretty close, right? So I'm down on the uh, the Red Sox coming back. When you look at the East, though, like the Yankees are for real. And I think what happened was uh, the vibes were bad is the best way to put it, right? Yankee fans were so annoyed. They didn't get Correa. They didn't get Seager. They didn't get Freddie Freeman. They didn't get the big guys they wanted. They got Josh Donaldson and Anthony Rizzo and Isaiah Kiner Falefa, who are, are good players, but you know, they're not top tier superstars anymore. And it's it's worked out. I think not enough people look at the bullpen on that team. Everybody knows we're all just Chapman, right? Not enough people know Michael King, who is unbelievable, or Clay Holmes, who is unbelievable, or Nestor Cortez, who's a starter, who has just turned himself from, you know, this funky kind of like Sid Fernandez-esque lefty to someone who's like actually really good. It's gonna make an all-star team. I think. So what they've done with their pitching staff has been super impressive. So let's head over to our friends in the Central. 
And would you say maybe the biggest disappointment this year so far is our good friend Tony La Russa and the Chicago White Sox? I, there's part of me that's wondering uh, who's managing that team come the All-Star break, <laughs> to be honest. Wow. Things, things have gone really poorly. And it's not all his fault. You know, they, they've had injuries, right? Like Jimenez is hurt, as has happened before. And Andrew Vaughn is hurt. And Lance Lynn is out. And it's like, that's totally fine. But uh, I'm struggling to think of a off-season decision that looks worse right now than them declining to offer Carlos Rodon a qualifying offer and letting him walk away for nothing because Rodon looks like the dude. You know, he looks unbelievable for the Giants. And then when you look at what's plagued the White Sox, yeah, again, injuries, sure. Uh, but their defense has been just wretched, right? Like the eye test, any metric you can think of, they're just, they're not playing good defense. And, you know, if you know me at all, I'm not the type to go to a fundamental baseball, but that that is what they're failing at <laughs> right now. You know, they'll be better. Lance Lynn will come back. G Lito's great. They'll get healthier. I, I have confidence that the guys will hit. But I, I don't know how they're going to improve that defense because I can tell you what made me laugh, right? Gavin Sheets was playing right field the other day. He made this just brutal error in the first inning. And basically the response is, well, he's only playing there because uh, you know he's a first baseman because Jimenez is injured and Andrew Vaughn is injured. And it's like, yeah, but that's basically a DH and basically a first baseman. So if those are the reasons he's in your outfield, that's a bigger problem. All right. Let's end on this. The analytics crowd. And you're one of them, and we love you for it because your articles are fantastic, and we love your work on MLB Network. But what are we going to do when guys don't hit? And this game, and this game turns into strikeouts and walks, and everybody's. I mean, if you've looked at our lineup, two thirty, we would take two thirty with a lot of guys in our lineup. What are we making in the analytics crowd? Batting average doesn't matter. Well, obviously it doesn't because nobody's hitting. When what are we now at two thirty one or two thirty as a league? Yeah, I mean, it's not just that, right? Like, I think in April, we had the lowest league slugging percentage for a month since, like, 1992 or whatever. You know, and everybody is following the story. The, the balls are not flying as well. Whether that's the ball itself, whether that's a change in the humidor, like, it's it's probably a combination of multiple things. But I don't, I don't know that it's realistic to expect guys to just start hitting like it's 1985 overnight. You know, that's not what they've been trained for. And the fact of the matter is, ball or not, pitching is a lot better than it used to be. You know, it's it's hard to hit. It's hard to make contact. It's hard to put the ball where you want it to. So I think it's really unfair to say, well, uh, we're not going to put any limits on the pitchers. But now you batters, we expect you to hit, you know, like you used to hit without any training for that. I think that's unfair. So I think you're going to see a lot of this this season. But the one thing that stands out to me is every time there's a ball that goes out and you think it should be a home run and it dies at the warning track, right? It sort of depends on what your comparison point is, because if you look at the baseball from, let's say, 2017 to 2020, which was, you know, mostly a powerball, and that's what you think your normal is, then, yeah, everything is going to be disappointed. But is this what baseball was like for, you know, decades before that? It's just kind of an interesting thing, because I remember everybody was annoyed with how many home runs we had in 2019. It's sort of hard to please anybody. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. Yesterday, we've been playing because we we lost Ray Fossey, obviously, and he did all these interviews all these years. We played one yesterday because we're in Detroit. This is way back Ray Fossey and Hall of Famer Sparky Anderson. And Sparky Anderson, way back in the 80s, complaining about a juice baseball. And a lot of things he was complaining about, we've heard those complaints. So it's like, it doesn't matter what decade. It doesn't matter what era. People have been, playing, people have been complaining about the equipment, especially the ball, it seems like forever. 
Yeah, I didn't hear that interview, but I'm guessing it was about 1987, right? The year that Wade Boggs hit 28 home runs out of nowhere. And I think if anything, yeah. if I learned anything the last couple of years, it's that the we have the equipment and the technology now to measure these things. And that doesn't mean that this is the first time this kind of stuff has happened. We just didn't know it before. Like you go back to weird home run seasons like 87, 1930, uh, probably like Brady Anderson hitting 50 whatever home runs that one year. And people are like, oh, well, he was using a little helper. And it's like, OK, but did he just stop that the next year? You know, I, I bet a lot of this was about the ball over time in ways we just never knew about. Hey, great stuff as always. We truly appreciate it. We want to have you on with the new set. So you got to see the new digs. It's fantastic. I wish I'd known. I would have turned my little purple light here green because I can make it any color I want. But next time. Oh, that is nice. I like that. You can do whatever you want with that. Yeah, I'm going to do it live on your air here, which is super good television. But let's see. Here we go. There, <laughs> I love that. We need to get one of those. Hey, great stuff. We love reading you. We love watching you on MLB Network. You be well, and we'll talk soon. All right, guys. Thanks. Take care. From Petriello to another fan favorite from MLB.com, and you see her on MLB Network, and she is our favorite. On Twitter, nobody better. She's got more nuggets than anybody. The researcher of researchers. Sarah Langs. Well, she once said, you guys will just be a little streaming show. That's all you're ever going to be. Well, guess what, Sarah Langs? We have stepped our game up. What do you think? I never said that. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. I was just texting Cody before. I love your setup. I'm staring in at my screen to see all these bobbleheads and mugs and everything. This, and look, is th- this is our this is our next giveaway right here. Oh my gosh, that's awesome! I love it. And, love this setup. And it's amazing all the stuff that I just had all this in my garage all these years. Right? And then when we decide, we let's just put. I mean, I've had all these jer. I mean, I got so many jerseys. And what we're gonna do with the sidewall? is we're going to turn this into a fan wall and let fans send us stuff and just have it grow and be interactive. But, yeah, so for the first – because everybody's always been interested in, like, how do you guys do it? What does it look like? We said, you know what, let's put this thing uh, on video so we can be on YouTube and be on Twitter and so they can see you because we've always gotten to see you, but the fans haven't. Obviously, they get to see on MLB Network, but now they can see you. This is awesome. I love this for you guys. It's so cool. And you're so right. I feel like being a sports fan, being a sports person, you have so many giveaways and items and trinkets. So it's great to have somewhere to put it. I'm staring across the room at a handful of bobbleheads I have from covering games a few years ago and giveaway texting gloves and helmet cups and everything. So <laughs> having somewhere to put all that is amazing and a great use of it. Yeah, I was thinking about one day what I'll do is just put all the different unique hats. Because nowadays yeah. we have Mother's Day, Father's Day, you know, breast cancer, prostate cancer. We do all the Memorial Day. We do all these different hats. I think one day I'm just going to put all these different hats that I've collected over time that I have golf hats, Titleist Days hats, and just to, we can constantly switch it out and keep it fresh, which I think will be a lot of fun. I love it. Redecorating whenever you want to. All right, back last night on the East Coast, you saw something that you just don't see very often. Now, you might say if you're a Phillies fan, we've been seeing this for the past couple of years, but 
my God, that comeback by the Mets, that was flat out historic. Oh, my goodness. So they were trailing 7-1, entering the ninth inning in Philly. And I do need to mention the Phillies wearing their epic throwback Thursday Love those. Yeah. I love those jerseys. Todd Radom, who's like a uniform and logo expert, has pointed out to me that when they wore those, those were actually road uniforms, I guess. So it's a little incongruous that they wear them at home, but we give them, you know, a free pass because those are beautiful. They're no Kelly Greens, but they're really, really nice. So anyway. Well, you know what it does? It makes us think of like our childhood, right? Makes you think of Mike Schmidt, Larry Boa, Pete Rose, and like Vaughn Hayes and that group. And there was that time when, you know, the Royals wore blue, the Phillies wore blue. It was the 80s, and that's when I grew up a baseball fan. So whenever I see those with the red P, I just, it makes me think of when I was a kid. No, they're so great. And Joe Girardi was wearing a sweatshirt that was made like the 2022 sweatshirts with the different colored sleeves uh, that are different from the bodice of the sweatshirt. So he was wearing that in throwback Thursday blue yesterday, and it was impeccable. But anyway, there was also a baseball game. And so the Mets enter the ninth. They're trailing 7-1. Tywin Walker got kind of lit up in the first few innings. He ended up going, I think, five innings, which was good for the bullpen, give them some rest. But he didn't look great. They didn't look great just across the board. They end up coming back and winning that game. They were trailing by six, entering the ninth, go on to win the game. It's just one of these crazy things that everything has happened before, but it hasn't happened all that often. So the last time the Mets trailed by six, entering the ninth in the game and won the game was in 1997. And the Phillies in their entire history, this was the fifth time they'd blown a lead like that. And their history goes back to the 1800s. So just a crazy, crazy game to be watching. I mean, well, put it this way, Philly, same old, same old. They thought, Dave Dombrowski thought, yeah, I'm fixing this bullpen. This is what we really need to do. And obviously – uh, long way to go, though. But on the Mets side, already a good start. Look, everybody's got confidence. Owners willing to spend money. Owners willing to eat Cano's money. Hey, we're about winning. Buck Showalter, we know, whether it was Yankees, D-backs, Orioles, it always starts out great. But is this one of those wins where you go, this is an omen. This could be the Mets here. It really feels like it could be. You know, you don't want to overreact to a May 5th win, but this is a team that also had another five-run inning, five-run ninth inning, excuse me, in St. Louis like two weeks ago. They were only trailing, I think, by three, but Nolan Arenado had an errant throw, was rolled a hit. Paul Goldschmidt made a bad play. I mean, that's two gold glovers making plays that they make 99 out of 100 times. And you were starting to get the sense with this Mets team that maybe they're getting things that go their way that, I mean, I grew up a Mets fan. They don't usually go their way, but here they are with two wins like that. They had a no-hitter last Friday. It was a combined no-hitter. It's kind of a different thing, but all of these things are not usually on the early, you know, first month plus checklist for the New York Mets. So it's starting to feel like one of those teams. I still have some questions about their offense. They don't hit the ball very hard. Um, 
you and I have talked about this and I talk about this pretty much whoever I talk with that we talk about hitting the ball hard because you get better results. And I do think offensively in the power department, there are some questions, but hey, they scored seven runs in the ninth to go ahead in that game. So no question about the offense on Mayfet, that's for sure. Well, if you could find it, I'm sure you can if you research it on Google, but they have a, it's a Mets tragedy bracket, right? It's like the college mm-hmm. basketball bracket. And it has all the crazy things that have happened in, in Mets history. It's really one of the most thought out funny things I've ever seen. And as a Mets fan, it has to make you choke. I mean, they've got stuff with like Dwight Gooden and David Cohn, and they got stuff that goes all the way back, way back to the Miracle Mets, but just stuff that's happened in, in Mets history that I don't know how many franchises. That's why it's like you got to enjoy what you got going right now because I don't know how many franchises have had that much screwed up stuff that you could put in a bracket of 64. Right? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I mean – You know, I think all these franchises kind of go through waves, but there's no question that the Mets kind of carry something with them, people seem to perceive. But you mentioned what happened with Robinson Cano, them making the correct baseball decision regardless of money. And I think that that was a really good example of how this team is different under Steve Cohen. And that sort of ends up trickling down to the field. You know, that is an off-the-field decision in that, okay, we're not going to continue with this contract. But it allows a guy like Dom Smith, J.D. Davis, Travis Jankowski, all of these guys to retain their jobs at the major league level and continue to contribute. And the Mets 10 years ago, five years ago, you know, I can't speak to 20 or 25 years ago under prior ownership, but certainly in recent memory, would not have necessarily made that choice, but it was the right baseball choice. You know, no disrespect to Robinson Cano, the individual, any of that, but just based (laughs) on the results. And, you know, I think that that is the anti of the bracket you're talking about. You know, I mean, it really feels like a tide is turning. And I think the Mets fans in my life would say that when DeGrom got hurt in spring training, it was okay, same old Mets, you know. But I think that they're showing that it's not quite that simple and that this is sort of a new dawning uh, for this club right now. Obviously, great talk other than that in baseball is what happened at Fenway Park with Shohei Otani as a pitcher. And Joe Madden said after where he goes, yeah, see, I I tell him not to run the bases hard because he's more valuable as a pitcher to us than he is a hitter. And I go – I am so tired, Sarah, of everybody talking out both sides of their mouth. Everybody does it. I hear it on, on with our, our team, all these other teams. You're not going to allow any starter to go deep in any game that's meaningful, especially in the postseason. All right, so if you're going to have Shohei Otani go out there and pitch four innings, you're going to pull him because you don't want him facing the lineup the third time around in a postseason game. So don't tell me he's not more valuable than a hitter who's going to hit four to five times in every postseason game if it's a five- or seven-game series. So we can say whatever we want when a pitcher does something and these managers will talk about the starting pitcher, but the data shows us no one trusts starting pitching anymore, especially in the postseason. Am I wrong? Well, you know, I mean, I don't have in front of me right now, but I know it took a very long time for us to see a starter go deep into a game in the postseason last year. 
I believe the last complete game of the postseason is still Kershaw in 2020 in that first uh, Brewers game, or maybe there was one toward the end of last year, maybe Luis Garcia. I'm not sure. But overall, we're certainly not seeing it. And it does have to do with numbers. It does have to do with the fact that, you know, guys see a pitcher for the third time and they get acclimated to them for sure. But to, excuse me, to Otani's credit, I mean, he was out there for seven innings yesterday. He did go deep into that game. And I do think that teams are seeing that if you have a starter who can go deep, and who you do trust to. And I agree, the list is a lot shorter than it used to be, that it is a competitive advantage. And I was just looking at Sling earlier. Teams are winning at a 714 winning percentage clip when they get a quality start this year. So part of a quality start is you have to go at least those innings, right? And last year was 686. So it is a decent difference. It's early in the year. But it is a decent difference where if you do have a starter, you trust to go deep and you trust to go deep and not give up like 10 runs, that it is going to benefit you. But I, you know, I certainly agree that postseason baseball is certainly not, uh, you know, Chrissy Matthewson throwing, what, <laughs> three shutouts to start his postseason career or something yeah. like that. And, you know, these guys coming out, you know, Bob Gibson, whoever else you want to pick and throwing complete games and shutouts. But, you know, also these relievers are really good. And I do want to give credit. We're talking about October. I mean, we're talking about some high leverage, really accomplished relievers who it's really cool to see them do their job. All right, let's switch over to the National League West, which is really interesting right now as we speak when we're having you on because a lot of people will come back and watch this. That's a great thing about streaming and being on social media platforms that we'll have people watch this tonight, Saturday, Sunday. So we're, when we're doing this interview, Dodgers have the lead over the Padres by a half game, two games over the Rockies, three games over the Giants, Tori Lovello, our guy, our buddy, former A manager of the D-backs, look out, the Snakes have won three in a row. They're only four and a half back at 500. Uh, a very, you know, bunch division. How do you view the NL West so far? Who are you buying and who are you not buying long term? Obviously buying the Dodgers, always buying the Dodgers right into eternity. I think that Freddie Freeman gives them a sort of lineup stability that they didn't really have the last few years. I mean, it totally worked, but this was a team where the lineup would look entirely different day to day. And I think having Freddie Freeman, having him at first base, him being the first baseman, not Max Muncy who can play in a couple different places, has really helped stabilize that team. And I mean, they're so much fun to watch. They're just so good. And they have Hanser Alberto in the dugout. You know, he's kind of their backup's backup, but he's, you know, the heart and soul of the team, leading all of the cheers and celebrations when someone gets his second, hits home run, anything like that. So absolutely buying them. And the Padres have been a bit better than I expected them to be before Tatis gets back. You know, Machado hit two home runs yesterday. Generally, the pitching has been reliable enough, which was kind of my concern. You know, Mike yeah. Clevenger just finally made it back. It was so That was good to see, to see right? 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, just so emotionally he talked about how he wasn't sure he was ever going to play again. Yeah. And he got to do it against his buddy, Playzac, too, which was pretty cool, um, just from a storyline perspective. But I think, you know, you Darvish, such an up and down first few starts. But overall, I think their pitching has been good. I'm sorry, Colorado. But I'm not buying the Rockies. It just Buddy Black, takes, he's such a good guy. Come on. Chris Bryant went nothing, there to win. Nothing against Bud Black. Nothing against Chris Bryant or CJ Crone, who is one of my favorite players to watch right now because Crone standing at home plate in Coors feels like an automatic home run, which is amazing <laughs> and so much fun to watch. But, you know, pitching is always a concern there and Overall, I just don't know if that team is built to compete over 162, but hey, they've already put up a fight. It's interesting. It's fun. And, you know, the Giants, it's been so back and forth. I think Alex Wood said the other day, hey, you know, we're not going to win 107 games every year. And, you know, I think some of the beat reporters were talking about, you know, obviously that's true. Uh, but it's pretty early in the season to say it. But, you know, we can tell this isn't that Buster Posey final season, though we didn't know it at the time, kind of magical year for them. But I do think they're good. They've had a really rough run with pitching lately. Alex Cobb was pitching great, got hurt, came back, gave up like five runs in the first, his first game off the I.L., Anthony DeSclafani has had issues and so on and so forth. I think if they can stabilize pitching-wise, they'll be okay. And Carlos Rodon has been so good for them, which is just a great story, too. I mean, the guy was non-tendered, ends up back with the White Sox, pitches his heart out last year, gets hurt in that postseason series, or seems to be hurt, has a velo drop-off, whatever you want to say, but he's back and pitching so well. Now we switch over to the American League West. Same kind of thing. Uh, you just wonder, is the pitching there? The offense should be there if everybody stays healthy with the Angels leading by a, half, a game and a half over the Astros who have won four straight. Mariners have come back having lost four straight. Rangers have won four straight, but they were so bad. They're still just 10-14. Obviously, the Athletics at this point, we're doing the interview, has lost, have lost six in a row. Hopefully, we'll get off of that in the uh, in Minnesota tonight at, at Target Field. But we know you can buy the Astros, but are you buying the Halos long-term? It is so difficult. You know, I have this conversation practically every day at work where, you know, just as objective baseball fans, and I know you guys are different, you're in the division, but I think we hate anyone- them. <laughs> I know. So I understand. I am Well, not we hate them and the Astros, so it's like it's like a no win either way in this side. I would say that the average objective baseball fan, and maybe there aren't a whole lot of those, wants to see Mike Trout and Shohei Otani in the playoffs. And I would say that most people, and you can put yourself on this list too, didn't think they did nearly enough with their pitching in the offseason. And that's been the story for, what, 10 years at this point? So I didn't expect them to be at this point. I didn't expect them to be 17-10. I didn't expect them to be above 500 even this point into the season. So I'm still a little wary 
but I want it to happen because I want Mike Trout to win a playoff game. I want Mike Trout to get to hit a playoff home run. And I know I'm not talking to the right audience for that, but I'm standing by it. I am standing by it. But to your question, I, as you can tell, I'm not fully buying it yet. I want to buy it, but I'm not. How's that? No, I, 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 I mean, right. Right now, you look at it and you say, well, if, if they get pitching with that offense, if Rendon yeah. starts to hit like we know he can, Ward is off the charts, you know, Trout's best player we've seen, uh, and then you talk about Otani, the brilliance that he is, the unicorn. I mean, yeah, it's just at some point you got to continue to get 27 outs every night. Can yeah. they do it? From the athletic standpoint, I hear you got something for me on Big Murph and Pache. Oh my gosh. I mean, those are just my go-to A's players right now. So I was talking the other day about Murphy and, you know, in the off season, we do our top 10 at every position. And this year when we talked about catcher. We basically talked about how one and two moving forward for a while are probably going to be Will Smith and Sean Murphy in some order, you know, Murphy, I had four this year. But I feel like by next year, I mean, Real Muto is having a pretty good year. Grandal has kind of fallen off, but really feels like if Murphy continues to be the good framer that he is for as long as that matters, hitting the ball hard, this is a really, really good player. And I don't think he gets enough love. So whenever he hits a home run, I always like to point it out. And I just think he's a really good defensive catcher. We saw with the gold glove and you know, this is the youth of the catching position, which I think is worth pointing out at this point. Yeah, Shea Langoliers, the kid that we got in the Matt Olson yeah. trade from the Atlanta Braves, Fran Reardon, our AAA manager, we just had him on, and they he said, hey, this guy can absolutely run. He's a terrific athlete and with all the power. And so catching right yeah. now, the depth is really good. I want to give you this on, on Pache because this scares me, Sarah. Pache, last 17 games, uh, is hitting a buck twenty-five, and he's zero for his last eighteen. I know he's a superior athlete, but at some point you have to, and we'll see what he does because he's in the lineup today. But you just can't keep letting him slide into the abyss. No, see that's the issue. I mean, part of what I love about him is so much off-field, right? I mean, the energy he brings. We saw him chatting with fans, opening day, home opener. All play hard for whoever's there, all yeah. of that. I mean, he just brings an energy. And we saw that when he was traded. I mean, he was on social media visibly or, you know, tangibly upset about being traded. And then he said, okay, I'm going to go full force into being an Oakland A. And I just love seeing a player approach it that way. I think he's really real. And I do think he has the potential to get to sort of that five tool you know, area, but as you're saying lately, not so great, but I, I like to bring the positive. So I like to bring yes. uh, the overall good, you See, know, I got to do a Cody. I got to deal with, with negative Nancy here all day long. I need some positivity in my life. I mean, great, great in defense outs above average. He's 93rd percentile. That's really, really good. Really good on the base pass sprint speed, 84th percentile and hard hit rate. He's in the 80th percentile. So, you know, we know what the issues are, and they're related to that 0 for 18, swinging and missing a little too much, chasing a bit too much. But, you know, 
I think of Matt Olson, who is no longer on the team, but basically taught himself to not swing and miss last year between 2020 and 2021 with the help of that A's coaching staff and his own dedication. And that's a great example of the fact that that can happen at the major league level. Another guy who did that not on the A's would be Austin Riley. And I think that there's no reason that Pache can't be another guy like that who can sort of lock in and learn to change his approach at the plate because there's a lot of power to unlock there if he can swing and miss a bit less. Now, you and your mother, well, obviously you, you work for MLB.com, but your mother is also a huge baseball fan. She's a big San Francisco Giants fan. Mother's Day, what are we going to do for Mother's Day, and does it include baseball? I don't think it will include baseball because we tend to go to Mets games and they are on the road on Sunday, and I have to work. But we'll definitely get some brunch, you know, spend some time, probably watch baseball at home. So that still counts, right? Watch some of those early 1 p.m. Eastern time games. But, you know, we're always talking baseball and, uh, you know, just getting to share that, which I love so, so much. Are any of our friends, and let's end on this, are any of our friends, and I'm not going to mention them by name, but they all come on this program, Are any of our friends over at MLB Network who have just been trashing batting average, just trashing it for years, just kicking it into the ground over and over again, starting to realize that the league averaging around 230 is forget forget whatever you think about analytics. We're about the entertainment business. We are a part of entertainment. People are scoring more touchdowns in the NFL. People are shooting more three-pointers in basketball. More goals are being scored in hockey. Scoring, entertainment, that's what it's about. Low batting average, not so great for entertainment. Are people starting to come around just a little bit over at MLB Network? Well, I I honestly don't know exactly who you're talking about, so I certainly can't speak for them, but – You know, overall, I think we all want to see guys get on base. We want to see offense. We want to see those things happening. But I will always caution. I know you guys are out on the West Coast where it's nice and warm all the time. It's cold here. It's really cold on the East Coast. Cold. I have the air conditioning on today. What do you mean it's cold? I'm staring outside at rain. We have five postponed games. Uh, I think four on the East Coast and one in Chicago today. So I will say the batting average where it's at, I really do expect it to change by, you know, July. It's still going to be lower. It's probably going to be a lot lower than we've seen, you know, 20 years ago. But a lot of times that April and May is pretty different. And again, you know, if you could send some of that weather my way, that would be really, really nice. Sarah, I swear to God, we can't move the cameras where we are right now, but we have the two cameras right here uh, to my left in the studio. I have my Toshiba air conditioner running as we speak, it's a oh it's a fancy. Wouldn't you say, Commander? It's a fancy air conditioner that I bought for Commander. Yeah, years ago, it, the working conditions here were not uh, up it, to it par. It was too hot for him. So here we are. You're talking about it's cold. I have the air conditioner on for for our for our new TV studio here. Oh my gosh! And I'm sitting here in a sweatshirt. 
indoors in a sweatshirt. So that is the difference between 3,000 miles right there. That's why you guys need to suck it up, and everybody back there needs to put a retractable roof on all your buildings. <laughs> I don't care, Yankee Stadium fan. We're tired of the rainouts. We're tired of rain delays. We're tired. The rest of baseball is tired of it. I don't care how old and how historic buildings are. Put a dang roof on it so we can play 81 straight games. I mean, I'm good. You know, I'm <laughs> fine with it. I think some of these older parks, I don't know if uh, if the land they're built on can support a retractable roof. A big tent. Like put a big tent over heavy. Fenway. Just put like a big tent, but just, just somehow get like a big tarp. Put it over like Fenway. Like a big wedding tent, right? <laughs> Well, it is so good to have you on the program, as always. But more importantly, now that we can see you and everybody on YouTube and Twitter, everybody will be able to see you now as they get to see on MLB Network. Of course, read you MLB.com. And I always say, if you go top follows in Major League Baseball, you know question you know question are one of the best because of of what you bring. It's intelligent. It's great. You can learn. And uh, you love the game, and it shows with your work. Thank you so much. So, so kind of you. And thank you guys for having me. Always great to see you. I love the new setup, as I said. This is great. This is just awesome. We appreciate it. And let's talk soon. You be well. You stay well. Thank you. The show is always better when Sarah is on it. And since we talk about this is the year of discovery, Bill Moriarty, well, he's going to be on a lot as we're breaking down the athletics farm system. There he is. What's happening? Hey, how you doing? I am doing wonderful. It's good to see you. What do you think of the set? Uh, it looks like you've done a little redecorating this season. Uh, it looks a little spiffier, I think. Yeah, we, we, we stepped our game up just for guests like you. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I need to decorate. You know, I've got some old uh, Barry Zito jerseys and memorabilia. I've got some old uh, batting helmets from the 70s. Uh, I guess I should uh, get with the program. I bet you've got some really old classic stuff. Yeah, definitely. You know, I remember going to uh, Helmet Day at the <laughs> Oakland Coliseum sometime Do you see my in the helmet up 70s. there? Yep. Hey, you know, I've got one where it's reversed. They've got the uh, the top is yellow and the bill is green, which is a very unusual uh, combo. You don't see those often. All right. I, you got to take us through this because and it bugs me it, now, ever since the ball club moved the AAA to Vegas. Mm hmm. Every guy, Sky Bolt was the next great outfielder in the history of the game of baseball. Right. Like all, <laughs> there's always going to be. There, there's going to be this, you know, number. Shea Langoliers is the new guy, and we had Fran Reardon on, and Fran said, hey, listen, let me tell you, the one thing that's so fascinating about him is the fact that he is super fast. Like, legitly, like StatCast tells you, he's super fast. What do we really, before we get into Shea and, and all the other aviators, what are we supposed to finally make of, now that we've seen it for years, make of Las Vegas and, and AAA? Yeah, well, you know, the, the PCL is definitely a hitter's league. You've got a lot of parks, not just in Vegas, but El Paso, Salt yeah. Lake, Reno, um, you know, definitely hitter's parks. So you have to factor that in. But that's why, you know, these sort of advanced stats where they're looking at exit velo and stuff like that becomes much more important because they can actually measure, you know, how hard is the ball actually coming off the bat as opposed to is it going over the fence in these, you know, tiny parks high at high elevation. So these things 
defense factor in and make a difference. But with a guy like Shea Langoliers, who you mentioned, yeah, he's hitting a lot of home runs in a hitter's park and a hitter's league, but he's leading the entire PCL uh, in home runs. So even if, you know, his he's aided by the parks in the league, he's still hitting more than everyone else in the league, you know, so that that does count for something. So what do you do with him? I mean, catcher, but if he's got wheels, like Fran said, and it's showing up on StatCast, which is telling me this kid's a great athlete. I know I looked it up. He's played other positions. What do you do with somebody that's that fast and has all these tools? Do you really leave him a catcher? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think, look, obviously, if he can be a catcher, that's very valuable. And, you know, there was talk in the offseason of the A's potentially trading Sean Murphy, and it is the A's. We know everyone's not going to be around forever. But at this point, I think you'd agree the A's offense is not exactly uh, lighting things up. And if you got a oh, guy. Oh, no, 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 who- Bill. My numbers say different. <laughs> these numbers say, these numbers, I mean. Off the charts, how much the A's are scoring and raking. Uh, I think I think you're holding that page upside down. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, you've got a guy who's one of the best hitters in the Pacific Coast League. For my money, I'd say he's hot. He's on a roll. His rhythm is good. His timing's good. Why not bring him up? You can have Sean Murphy uh, and he both catch, both play some DH, both play some first base. You know, why not? Give it a shot when a guy's hot and he's locked in and you don't have much offensive production. You know, I I don't know what they're waiting for, but, um, you know, I mean, they they obviously haven't felt the desire to force it yet. But uh, at some point, if he keeps hitting like this, I think they're going to have to find a way to get him in there and, um, you know, help help the offensive production of this team one way or another. I mean, he, he's been the best hitter in the A's minor league system. And like I said, one of the best hitters in all of AAA so far this season. All right. You remember the movie Moneyball where they go meet with Scott Hatterberg and, and, and Billy Bean, uh, Brad Pitt says, oh, it's easy to play first base, right, Wash? And Wash goes, it's extremely hard. All right, it's easy. <laughs> it's easy to play anywhere. Give a guy a glove. I mean, the one thing that is a reality is that all of these players, and I try and remind people this, that all of these players, they all grew up great athletes. They all grew up playing multiple positions. He's obviously a, a guy that can go out to the outfield. If you could say, okay, we're not going to have you play catcher because I want your wheels to play every day. That's one thing that comes to the ballpark every day is speed. If his speed is as good as Fran Reardon's stat cast says it is, it's not the eye test, it's stat cast, where can we put him? Where can we say, hey, man, we're not beating you up behind the dish. We're putting you somewhere. Where's the best spot for him? It's kind of reminding me of Soderstrom, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think for a catcher, the most natural spot is always at first base. You know, I think that's the the easiest place to move a guy from behind the plate. And uh, no matter what Wash says, it's not that hard if you're a, a major league professional player and you've been catching, which is a very hard position to play. If you can do that, I, you know, you can figure out how to play a little bit of first base. But, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned Soderstrom because he hasn't been catching in the last week or so. And a lot of people have been wondering, oh, are the A's abandoning him as a catcher? But actually, he's just had a, a thumb contusion. He's had a thumb issue. So he hasn't been able to catch. Um, so he's been playing a lot 
out of first base uh, recently. But that kind of goes to show you what happens when the guy's catching. He can get banged up a little more easily. And if he's a good hitter, you know, maybe it's better off to move him from behind the plate where he's going to get more dinged up and put him in a spot where he can, you know, be a, be a little safer. Yeah, that's always an interesting, what do you do with good athletic catchers? And, you know, you always want to go, he's Craig Vigio, put him out of second base. And next thing you know, he'll be a Hall of Famer. But uh, definitely this, you know, when the time, I don't know when that time is. When are we talking to David Forrest, by the way? Maybe on Friday. We're going to ask him, like, hey, what? I mean, how much does this kid got to hit for you? There's a reason why you traded for him before you do something. Nick Allen, very interesting I think will be a mainstay at shortstop, could be second base. You know, we talked to Jim Leland. Jim Leland, because we're talking about Christian Pache going, this guy's struggling. Like, what do you do? And Leland said, I sent plenty of guys down in my career knowing that they had to go down, get some positive vibes going, and then they come back up and the rest is history. And if you send a guy down and he never comes back, then he was never going to be that good anyway. I see Nick Allen being one of those players. What did you think about his time here? And what do you think about his future with the big club? Yeah, I mean, I think his his future is good. I mean, obviously, we know he can play shortstop defensively. There's no question about that. Um, it's just a matter of how much he can hit. And he has been, you know, he's bulked up a little bit. I don't know if you notice, he's a little bigger. He's been hitting the ball harder, which is a good sign. So, I, you know, I think he's going to get there offensively. Um, you know, it might take a little time, but I think the fact that he's hitting the ball harder, um, it's coming off the bat better is a good sign. You know, with little guys like him, Remember Billy Burns, um, you know, he had a little a little good time with the A's, but eventually, you know, he couldn't drive it into the gaps. He couldn't hit it off the wall even. So the outfielders started playing in on him and suddenly they're playing him so shallow that he can't even doink in those singles anymore. So if you're a little guy, you've got to be able to show that you can at least drive it into the gaps, get it near the wall anyway, so they don't cheat in on you and keep you from getting those singles that you need. And I think Nick Allen's been showing that he can hit the ball hard enough, he can get it into the gaps, get his doubles, not allow the outfielders to cheat in on him. So, you know, look, if he can get away with hitting 250 with some doubles, playing the defense he does, you know, he'll be a great addition to the team. So it's just a matter, you know, getting a little more time in AAA just to get comfortable. You know, he's seen Major League Pitching now. Hopefully he has a little better sense of what that's all about. But, you know, I'd expect that by the second half of the season, you're, you know, if everything goes as planned, that you'll probably see him up with the A's playing uh, playing shortstop on a pretty re- pretty regular basis. I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't uh, have him do that, at least by the second half of this season. We had a very scary situation yesterday in game one of the doubleheader where you had a ball in between Pender and Elvis, they collide. Mm. Pender got hit with Elvis's leg in the face and his neck. And you're like, oh, boy, you worry about concussion. You worry about neck, back, that whole thing. And the yep. whole time, that's going down. And Katze and Paparesta and everybody comes out. And, and they're looking at these guys. And part of me was like, here is the major problem with allowing teams and baseball to carry eight thousand pitchers you've got no depth you have razor you have razor thin depth on your bench because you got so many guys down in the bullpen 
and it's your guys' fault for making the game this way. And if both those players go out and we're in a doubleheader, what do you right. do? And that was kind of a question in the postgame show. Well, what really do we have at AAA? We've seen Christian Lopes. I mean, it is what it is, right? I mean, uh, who's down there? If, if some guys get injured and we're still carrying only 12 position players and you need guys to come yeah. up, who really is down there that's good enough to come here and help the A's win? Well, it's interesting because I was just thinking about that very point. By the way, you can say hello to my cat there. Hello, um, Kitty. Uh... How, how is the Kitty? <laughs> Uh, but but I was just thinking about that the other day. When I was a kid, uh, I remember teams would typically have 16 position players on the roster. Now they've often got a dozen, you know, which means you've only got three guys on the bench. So and one's a, a big, catcher. <laughs> it's a big, big difference. And um, I don't know if you know, but the A's just released uh, Eric Thames and Buddy Reed from the AAA roster. So there's a couple of names down there that you might have known that that aren't there anymore. When did that uh, go down? Is that today? Uh, I th believe it happened actually last night. Uh, Buddy Reed and Eric Thames. I okay. think if you go to the A's uh, transactions page, you'll see it see it listed there. But they did just add someone you might know, uh, Matt Davidson, first yeah. baseman, third baseman, who's been around, uh, power hitting, uh, right-handed hitter. He was signed to a minor league deal, so he's now there at Vegas. He's a guy that could be. You know, first base, DH if you need it, still has some power. I was glad to see they brought up Louis Barrera. I thought he was one of the guys who should get an opportunity to get get some at-bats. Um, besides Barrera, Davidson, Nick Allen, those are probably the top guys. Oh, Shea Langoliers, of course, uh, yeah. not forgetting him. Those are the top guys down there. Um, you know, after that, much of the depth is at double-A this year. I mean, you've got guys like Zach Geloff, Logan Davidson, Max Schumann, Jonah Bride. They're all hitting really well at Midland. And I think before long, you'll see some spots opening up in AAA, and those guys will be up there, and they might be kind of the next round of reinforcements at this stage of the game. I totally understand. I don't like it. I hate it. I wish they would have dressed it in the CBA, and they didn't. And front office people will hate me for saying this. My apologies, Billy Bean and David Forrest and crew. I hate manipulating time. I think it's just <laughs> the dumbest. Like, can you just to, for people to understand how bad this practice is, can you imagine in other sports, we're going to draft Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Shaquille O'Neal. We're going to draft Peyton Manning, Barry Sanders, you name it, down the line. And none of these superstars, Lawrence Taylor, guys who came out and were just unstoppable, right? Can you imagine right. in those other sports that they went, nope, we're not going to play them because we don't want to we don't want to make them free agents faster. What a crime that would have been to football <laughs> and basketball. We're not going to play Wayne Gretzky until we can manipulate his service time. Can you imagine? Manip I mean, it's just like the stupid. We may never have these players like Stan Musial and Hank Aaron and Willie Mays and these guys because we manipulate their service time. We stick them in the minors when they shouldn't be there. And that makes me think of Zach Geloff. We saw him in San Jose when the ports came here, and you're looking at this mm -hmm. guy. Tall, athletic, can play. I mean, he, he was laterally can move. I mean, I only saw him for one game, and I watched a lot of him, and you could just see. And just to watch him hit, he's got all the tools. 
Manipulating a guy's service time who's a college guy, I think is stupid. Like, if he's a college guy, you got to rush him to the big leagues. Well, I think, I, I mean, your your point is right. One thing to, to take into consideration, though, is it is different in baseball. Football and basketball, they can come right out of the college game, go right to the pros. Well, minor succeed. leagues, the college is their minor leagues. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So these guys... There's a lot more in the development process in baseball. So it is understandable if a guy comes right out of college and doesn't go straight to the majors. I mean, they used to try and do that with pitchers sometimes, and it rarely ever worked out. You know, there is a certain amount of development that's required. That's not to say that there isn't a certain amount of service time manipulation that goes on, too. But Zach Geloff was just drafted last year. Usually guys like that start out at some level of A-ball. So the fact that they're even starting him out at double A this season is considered a bit of a push. Um, But, you know, some guys are more ready than others, and he certainly looks to be pretty ready. He's done nothing but hit. He's hitting, I think, 339 at Midland. Uh, I think as of last night, he was leading the Texas League in hits. And, um, you know, he's just done nothing but hit. So hopefully if he keeps this up by the second half of the season, maybe he'll be up in AAA at Vegas. And, uh, you know, that puts him obviously just one step away from the majors. Also, just so you know, he's been splitting time between third base and second base uh, this year at Midland. So he does have some positional versatility. So he could, you know, potentially slot in a couple different spots for the A's at some point in the near future. Yeah, I mean, I don't expect him to get to the big leagues this year. But I'm saying, as a college guy, you're not supposed to be there that long. And the way that we deal with players, how many years do you want this guy? Because, trust me, we've talked about ball, new ballparks not till at least 2028. <laughs> and if things keep going, we could be 2029. Geloff's what, 22? I think uh, 22, 22 or 23. Yeah, 22. probably 22. Let's just start doing the math. How long you how long you want this guy? So that's why when I'm looking at it, you know, I understand that the next great A in a new ballpark may be in high school right now. Maybe just entering college, right? That that's when you just that's just being realistic. So that's when I say Nick Allen. I want to know what the hell. Is Poisson gonna be anything or not? Like I want to know because these guys may not be the answer for the new ballpark, but they could be the answer vaulting you into the new ballpark. So having a guy sit in the minor leagues forever, I don't know what that does for me. Well, also, you know, at this stage of the game where the A's are at, obviously we're in full rebuilding mode right now. So if there's ever a time to take a chance and roll the dice and see what you've got – it's a year like this. Now, I would expect that probably we will see a lot more guys get their major league shot in the second half. You know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of guys on this roster that the A's will try to unload at the deadline. If you're a veteran or, you know, you're in the last legs of your contract, like most of these guys are, I don't think they're going to be around in the second half. If they can get, you know, a mediocre low A ball player for some of these guys at the deadline, I'm sure they will. So I think you're going to see a lot of roster churn at the deadline, which means you'll then also see a lot of the prospects who performed well in the first half probably get a a much better chance to play and show what they can do in the second half this season. So last night I was up late and I was emailing Cody an article that came out MLB.com. This is not going to shock you. It was so basically they pulled a bunch of executives 
and certain executives did reply, and they had a bunch of questions for the start of 2022. Who's the best team? Who's the best player? All that kind of stuff. And then it came down to who's the most tradable guy at the deadline? Who do you think got the most votes? Oh, uh, well, I'm guessing maybe, it, well, I'm assuming it was an A's player. I'm assuming Frankie Montaz. Ding, ding, uh, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, I hold, if it's me, I'm holding him to the deadline. I'm, I'm getting just desperate GMs out there. There's going to be GMs yep. who are absolutely desperate. And when I mean desperate, some of these guys are going to be fighting for their jobs. So mm-hmm. if you can find a GM that knows if he doesn't go on a playoff run, doesn't get to the playoffs, he could be losing his job. And if you think you're going to lose a job, you don't care about the prospects in your minor league system because you may not have a job to even enjoy those prospects. So find the most desperate guy. But I'm going to allow you, Bill, to be running the show for me. And you got Frankie Montas. You're going to trade him. You know our minor – you and Melissa Lockhart know our minor league system as well as anybody. What does our system need? You're trading Frankie Montas. What do you want to get back? Well, I'll tell you, as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing more value – and I think most GMs would agree with me. There's nothing more valuable than pitching. You know, you can sort of always – well, almost always, uh, not this year with the A's, find a hitter. But uh, but pitching is so hard to come by, and it's become so much more valuable, and there's so many pitching injuries. The number of A's minor league pitchers on the IL is just ridiculous. So I think pitching is such a rare, valuable commodity. And if I'm trading a guy like Frankie Montas, I want to get a couple of arms that I can count on are going to be major league pitchers very soon in return. Um, You know, obviously you have to deal with different teams and see what you can get. You know, if somebody's offering a really valuable hitter, they're willing to give up that you really value. Hey, you'll take them. But for me, especially if I'm giving up a pitcher, I want to get a couple of good arms in return that I feel are going to be solid major leaguers going forward. And I think you saw the A's do that in most of the deals in the offseason. They really restocked the minor league uh, pitching system, getting, you know, Zach Logue and Adam Aller and JT Ginn and Ryan Cusick and Gunnar Hoagland and Joey Estes. That's what they really seem to be intent on doing and that's certainly what i would do if i was going to deal frankie montas get a couple of arms that can really help you in the next year or two you know the fans are going to go bill come on i want a star i want a guy mm-hmm. who plays every day i want a guy who hits bombs who can run play defense doesn't strike out every time of the play why can't i get one of those guys I, I know it's a lot of fun, but, you know, pitching is really the name of the game more than anything. You know, I remember back when the, the Mets were trading going to trade Tom Seaver. And the theory at the time was that no starting pitcher was worth a regular starting position player, even Tom Seaver. And the Reds gave up like six, you know, uh, <laughs> non-starters to get Tom Seaver because they refused to give up a starting position player, even for Tom Seaver. But in the modern game, People know that pitching is really the name of the game. You know, you just don't see teams going to the playoffs or the World Series that don't have a good pitching staff. You know, that really is more important, even though it's far less exciting than seeing a guy hitting them out of the park. But you know what? Even Renato Nunez or Chris Carter can hit 30 home runs a year out of the park, and nobody actually wants to put them on their roster these days. So that shows you how much more important pitching is than, than even power at this point in the game. 
Tom Seaver had a nice little career, 311 wins, a 2.86 ERA, a 109.9 war. He was a decent little pitcher. <laughs> Actually, recently, yeah. I don't know what I was watching. I can't remember what it was, but they were showing the All-Star game from when – what the – I don't know why it was on, but it was the All-Star game at Yankee Stadium where Tom Seaver is obviously a National League All-Star, but he's a National League All-Star as a Cincinnati Red, and mm. everybody at Yankee Stadium, because of he starred New York, he got this standing ovation, and it didn't stop. And he kept right. tipping his cap, and then he stepped back in line, went back out, tipped his cap again, and it was like, <laughs> I've never seen that before. That was, uh, that was a big league deal. Okay, um, guys, lower level, Poisson – Muncie, looking at these guys, who looks like going to be the real deal? And Poisson, are we five point one million? Is it ever gonna? Is it ever gonna work out? You know those those you know Dominican teenagers are always a bit of a crapshoot, and uh, you know he's still nineteen, so who's to say for sure? But you know he didn't have a good year at Stockton last year. They've moved him to second base. You know he's hitting about two twenty this year in his oh. second year at Stockton. He's still nineteen. I mean, if he's going to pan out, it's going to be a long term project. You know, it's it's not going to happen overnight. So I, I wouldn't want to put too many eggs in that basket. But I'll tell you, there are a couple guys at Stockton that are really performing well, that are really exciting, that I think really worth keeping an eye on. Of course, last year's top draft pick for the A's, uh, Max Muncy, Max Muncy 2.0, uh, the shortstop. Uh, he's, uh, he's just 19 years old at Stockton. He's leading the team in home runs. He's taking a lot of walks. He's getting on base. He's playing well across the board. His batting average is still a little low. He's hitting around 210 or something, but he's taking walks, getting on base, hitting for power, playing well enough in the field at 19. 19 years old in the Cal League, and A's people I've talked to are very excited about the way he plays the game. So I think Max Muncy is definitely someone to keep an eye on and who will definitely be moving along a lot more quickly than, than Robert Poisson. And another guy from last year's draft, the A's fourth round pick, outfielder Denzel Clark, has yeah. really gotten off to a great start at Stockton. You know, he's a big guy, and he's got a really intriguing mix of speed and power. He's leading the team in both extra base hits and stolen bases. I think he's already stolen 10 bases, and he's a big guy. He's got power. I mean, it kind of makes me think of, you know, not to exaggerate, but he's kind of an Andre Dawson type, you know, like he's a big guy. He's got speed. He's got power. He kind of seems like he'd do anything. They started him in right field. Now he's been playing in center field. If he can stick in center field, that makes him even more valuable. But he's really performed well out of the gate. So I think Max Muncy and Denzel Clark, who were, you know, were both draft picks last year have performed well at Stockton. And then last year's second round pick, who we talked about, Zach, Zach Geloff, has been performing really well at Midland. So the A's last year's draft class has really been looking good. I mean, having, you know, those three out of your top four picks really off to tremendous starts their first, with their first full season teams is, is really a good sign. Well, I got to tell you, what you do for us here on A's Cast, we absolutely love it. I mean, this is such a pivotal time to find out what's going on in our minor league system and who are the who are the future A's who are going to help us get back on track. So we always love having you on the program. We always appreciate what you do for us for A's Cast. It's a great listen. Be well, and let's talk again soon. Absolutely. Anytime. Always happy to talk prospects with you, Chris. Take care. Bill Moriarty, who does a fantastic job once again 
uh, covering the minor league system, editor-in-chief of Athletics Farm. We would like to thank Rob Friedman, the Pitching Ninja, Mike Petriello, Sarah Langs, and Bill Moriarty for coming on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.